Welcome to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Nathan Stacking here alongside my good friend and co-host, sports director at KORN Radio in Mitchell, South Dakota. It is none other than Travis Krins. Travis, how we doing? We're doing good. Today is first day of summer, I guess. It is, yes. We are recording this on the, the summer solstice. Uh, it is now... Uh, after today, after June 21st, the days will start to get shorter. Apparently meteorological seasons make a whole lot more sense to me. They break it down into quarters, so every three months is a new season. Yep. So, what is it? Uh, like June, July, August is summer. Yes. And September, October, November is fall. But technically... Up till September 21st is still considered summer. Yeah, and I like the meteorological summer a lot more because it's been summer, as you know. It has felt like summer for the last six weeks. Yes. And for today, oh, today's the first day of the summer. Now, I feel like summer started, you know. Summer started like before Memorial Day. It's so damn hot here. Uh, We're in the mid 90s, or we're in the low 90s. Through Thursday, they have forecasted rain for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but I will believe it when I see it because they have forecasted thunderstorms and rain for us multiple times over the last month, and we have, I believe, a grand total of like 0.19 inches of rain since, or like maybe like 0.24 inches of rain since the middle of May. We are scorched here in St. Cloud. It's like, you know, a 20, 30, 40% chance here and there. It never happens, and it never rains. Oh. They'll go as high as 60, 70. It, last weekend, it was 60% oh. chance of rain. <laughs> then it bumped up to 70 and 80%. And then all of a sudden, they kept pushing oh. the rain back, and I could see it coming. I'm like, okay, crap, that we're not going to get anything. And then, oh, it dropped down to 40. It's like, how can you be this bad? Like, what? I uh, I saw one thing in the winter. I think it was regarding the winter storm. It was supposed to hit St. Cloud bad, and it... It didn't. It wasn't as bad as it was. We got a lot of snow, but the wind wasn't quite as bad. We didn't get as much snow as what they forecasted. And I saw a tweet, something about like, oh, it just, you know, the the atmosphere, like the pattern of this just shifted ever so slightly. And that causes, you know, the the storm to, to move north or not be quite as large. How can you be this bad, though, at forecasting something when like five hours, you know, from now you have an 80% chance of rain and then... Three hours from now, so like two hours from when the rain's supposed to hit at 80%, you drop it down to 40%. What changes in that specific period of time that you couldn't have forecasted previously? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Very frustrating. It's 80%, so I guess you're the 20%. Right. Somebody's got to be the 20%, and that's St. Cloud. It sucks. I remember Memorial Day weekend, they were supposed to rain like Saturday, so... Like, you know, we had the uh, state track meet, and we had some baseball, state baseball. Yep. And, like, they hurried to get stuff in, and they moved up some of the track and field events to get in, because it was going to rain on Saturday, and it never did. Yeah, it's like like, this a- was like an all-day thing, and it just never rained an inch. Maybe it didn't rain anything in Super Bowls. That it's like the boy who cried wolf. You know, you keep saying, oh, you know, there's a wolf, there's a wolf. Oh, where's the wolf? Oh, it's not there. And then eventually when the wolf actually gets there, no one believes you. That's what it's like here. Oh, it's going to rain, going to rain. Yeah, right. Not going to do anything. 
Uh, or like we believe you and then it doesn't do anything and then you say oh it's gonna rain like we've been here before so don't tell me if it's we got a 60% chance 70% chance of thunderstorms I want you to be 100% or like 90% accurate here 95% because the only uh, certainties in life are death and taxes so like I I don't care what you tell just tell me when it's gonna freaking rain again and why we're in this constant state and when it's going to get out because I don't care that, oh, we, we think it's going to rain. Just tell me when it's going to rain. Right now, when I do the weather every day, unless it's like an 80% shot, I barely even mention it. Yep. Oh, 30, 40% shot. No. Unless the rain's like Imminent. 50 miles away, then I'll mention it. If not, I would say expect it to be dry today. Well, as we were talking before we started here, you, you mentioned that there was a, a band of rain stretching from North Dakota to South Dakota, and it was inching its way towards Mitchell, was very close, and then just dissipated there. It's like, it, you probably would have said, oh, we got a, a good chance of rain coming in here, like if, an hour from now, and then it just disappears. It's like, what the hell? It was going north, south to north, and from when I got there at 5 o'clock in the morning till about 10 o'clock, in the morning, about a five-hour stretch. It probably moved east 30 or 40 miles as well. So it was mainly south to north and then ever, ever so slightly east. And then once it got about 25 miles west of Mitchell, it stopped. It's, just, it's ridiculous. It's frustrating. Yeah. Um, but at least some parts are getting rain. Friday night, we were supposed to get rain Friday. <clears throat> we had this heart and soul cancer walk thing we did. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, 70, 80% chance of rain. Hopefully we can get it in before it rains or it doesn't rain too much. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get a drop. So it didn't rain at all on Friday. Again, it's, it's 70 to 80% in the, meteorolo- in the meteorological world is a practical certainty. Like, they don't say scattered thunderstorms at 70 to 80%. They say... Thunderstorms, eighty percent chance of rain here. Like it, it, you are going to get rain. You are going to get a thunderstorm. And it's scattered from forty to sixty percent, isolated at thirty. I, I just don't understand how you can be this wrong all of the time. It's just, especially this year, with how many days they have forecasted us to have a shot of thunderstorms, and then they take it away that same day. It's like what changed between yesterday and today that all of a sudden. Now we have no chance of rain. Like, nothing could have changed that drastically. Yeah, I feel like you know, once you're within 12 or 24 hours or less, like, you know, the forecast should pretty much be set. Yeah. I should get one of the meteorological professors from St. Cloud State to, to join us to, to figure out why, because it's infuriating uh, to me. Really. But, weather aside... Speaking, but- speaking of being fucking infuriating... Twins? Oh, the fucking twins. All right. Well, I was going to hold off on that for a little bit, but let's go there since uh, since you brought it up. The twins, mired in misery right now. They, they lose three or four to the Tigers at Target Field. It makes no sense. They've been uncompetitive against the Boston Red Sox so far uh, this week. They are hopefully could salvage, uh, you know, not get swept, salvage game here, win a game Wednesday night. 
this team, uh, the fan base is frustrated. I mean, Rocco's got to go at this point. What needs to be done to shake this team up? Because it, I thought maybe they had turned the corner after beating the Brewers last week. Or not turned the corner, but at least, okay, it kind of steadied the ship. They can't. They haven't done anything at all. And worse, worse of all, is that everyone is talking about what Luisa Rise is doing in Florida. He got his average back up to 400. He had a five-hit game. Uh, was it earlier this week or end of last week? And you know the, the average now is like 398, 397, whatever. Uh, I'll get an updated one here since the Marlins game. It was a 401 earlier today in like the fifth inning as a. My loss to the Blue Jays. Six to three, yep. Uh, um, he's at 398. He went two for five. Okay. He's not going to hit 400 because, I mean, he went two for five today. And he's still under. I mean, it's so extremely difficult to do what he is trying to do. But the mere fact that he got it back. I mean, he was at 370 or 380. And he got it back up to 400 here. So it's just it, a common Because now everyone's kind of looking at, well, why would the Twins trade away this guy? And, you know. It's like, okay, it made sense at the time because the Twins need started pitching, but Pablo Lopez hasn't pitched very good here lately. This, I mean, something needs to be done, and I think firing Rocco Baldelli would be the, the number one thing. I don't think he's going anywhere. Like, him and the front office are attached at the hip, so if he's going, they're going. And I just don't see them doing that. <clears throat> they're two games under 500. they They're 36-38 and 38, are still somehow... In first place, they're a game up on Cleveland. It's like, what does it take for some other team to get to first place? Twins have been in first place pretty much the entire year. It's frustrating. I thought this would be a very good team. And, I mean, on paper, this should be a good team. And yesterday, somebody asked Rocco about Buxton. Did you see that? I did not, no. Well... Yeah, so okay, somebody asked, okay, we're, you know, two and a half months, we're, you know, 70 games into this thing. Is Buxton going to see the field at any point here? You know, I kind of said this was the plan for the first month or so, so what's, you have an update on Buxton and his knee? Mm-hmm. And no, he's, he's not going to play in center field. He said, Rocco said from the beginning of the year, Buxton has not been physically able to play in the outfield. If he was, he would be out there. Even if we thought it was possible he could play in the outfield right now, he would be out there. It's like, how? What do you mean he's physically unable to play in the outfield? He's a very good defensive outfielder. Now, I get that that's where his some of the injuries come into play. But if... I mean, he's not doing as much at the plate as he should be. So what the hell's the difference at this point? Even back to old Buxton, where I hated Buxton... Still kind of do. He's hitting 209. This is what he used to do. He hit 209. He he had he hurt his knee early last year in Boston at second base. And they treated it and they didn't put him on the DL for months and months and months. He what he had a home run in the All-Star game. And I'm like, if he is so hurt, what is he doing playing in the All-Star game? Mm-hmm. And, you know, good moment for him. I think he was a starter, and he got a home run in the second inning. And it was like a 2 nothing game. So good good for him to have that moment. And then at the end of the year, they finally shut him down. He hurts his knee. 
And apparently he got arthroscopic surgery in very late September with a six to eight week recovery. That's, you know, let's, let's just say August, let's just say it was October 1st. Mm-hmm. That's nine months ago. Yeah. Arthur's not, not a torn ACL. Fuck, Royce Lewis is back from a torn ACL. Indeed. In less than a year, I think he made his re-debut exactly one year from when, not when he got surgery, but when, when he tore the ACL. Mm-hmm. And he was back in the minors, you know, for a, a month three weeks before that. So how does Royce Lewis come back from a torn ACL? Seemingly what's going to be at least as quick, if not quicker than Buxton. So what, what is what don't we know? What don't we understand about his knee? And arthroscopic surgery, not a huge deal. Six to eight weeks. And like he plays, so he got hit in the ribs there a few weeks ago. So he, they put on the DL for that. Mm-hmm. But now he's back and he's not hitting. And like he's stolen bases, he's running around. So so what why can't he do that? But he can't play in the outfield to say that he's he's physically unable to. Like he's not he's he's playing every day. Mm-hmm. He's hitting, he's DHing, he's running. Why can't he play in the outfield? I have no idea. I saw someone on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, but they said, maybe it was, was it Lavelle Neal, Patrick Royce, someone, uh, I think it was him, I just saw it on Twitter. They're like, you know what, you know what they talk about, you know, I think maybe they mentioned like Correa talking about how close of a like tight-knit, like family-oriented team this is, and you know, how they maybe, they should have a meeting or something to go about it. He said, you know what, let's just, this team needs to go to a bar and have everyone go apologize to the starting pitchers and just air out the grievances. Have some drinks. Just... Get in a fight. Somebody yeah. needs to get in a fight with yeah. somebody. Like, something needs to be done here. Someone needs to speak up. Do you think anyone on this team is speaking up? Like, Carlos Correa should be speaking up right now if he hasn't already. Who else on this team is going to say something? Which one of these pitchers is going to get fired up? And say enough is enough. We gotta, we gotta do something here. I know Sonny Gray was upset about getting taken out after what, like five innings. That was maybe was that a few weeks four. back. Four, four innings. Okay, that was a few weeks ago, a month ago, something. Wait, like last that. that was five days ago. He's gonna start tonight. Oh, five days. Okay. Oh, that, that was even. Oh man, he wasn't a fan of getting pulled. He was pulled after four innings. He had a long. He was at seventy-nine pitches through four. He was at 35 pitches in the fourth. He wasn't pitching great. He had two runs, three hits, but he walked four. He was at 79 pitches in four innings. Twins ended up losing eight to four to the Tigers. And, yeah, it's just a situation like that where he wasn't happy. He's like, you know what? I'm not pitching well. Can I go out for one more inning? And then they bring in Giovanni Moran. Yeah, and he gave. I think he gave up three runs in the fifth. So it's like, well, that was the wrong move. It's that's the frustrating part. If you're going to pull a guy after only 79 pitches, and it's not like it's a you know a 10 run game, or you're down by eight runs, something like that, you got to put someone in who's going to be able to put the clamps down. Uh, Giovanni Moran is not going to do it. They did. They did. um, 
Johan Duran, they put him in. This was, what, a week or so ago? Maybe last weekend, previous weekend. Where he, I think it was against Toronto. Where he went two innings, he threw 30, I think it was a Friday night, he threw 38 pitches, which is a season, I think, and a career high. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's something that like I want them to do more of. Mm-hmm. Two innings, six outs, 38 pitches, 35 pitches, however long it takes. So I like that. And I thought that kind of signaled to me, all right, there's a sense of urgency here. It's like, we need, we got a winnable game. I think it went to the 10th inning, maybe. Close game in the ninth. We have, we want to, we want to win this game. All the times it doesn't, I'm sure they do want to win, but it doesn't seem like they want to with the moves that they make. And this, to me, signaled, wow, we really want to win. We're bringing our best pitcher. We're going to throw him two innings, almost 40 pitches. And then, of course, he was unavailable for the rest of the series because, you know, once he threw that, you figure he's not going to pitch for at least three days, which is a bit ridiculous. They didn't need him the next day. I think on Sunday they could have used him, but obviously they didn't. And then they brought him Duran the other night. They brought him in uh, in the eighth inning mm-hmm. against Detroit, whatever the hell they were playing. And I thought, all right, they're going to do this again. They're going to bring him in in the eighth and then keep him out there for the ninth. Another six-out save. I like what they're doing. But they didn't do that. They brought him in for the eighth. And then they took him out. They put Griffin Jackson for the ninth, and he ended up getting the save. It all worked out. But that was an odd situation, I thought. They don't have a legit closer. Like he is the closer. Duran's the closer. But he's being wasted. Like they just don't use him enough. Right. Um. Well, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He is the closer, but you need to see. You need have like Joe Nathan. I don't. Did, I don't like it that he's the closer because closers only pitch in the ninth inning when you're up by, you know, three runs or less. And right. I hate that role that's been created. Joe Nathan uh, was a fantastic really because we're out ahead and it's not the ninth inning and we only pitch him one inning. Joe Nathan though was an incredible closer because like he would get close, close. You know, he wouldn't blow any saves, or very rarely would he blow a save. He may have come into the eighth inning, sometimes the seventh inning, very rarely. But you knew once it came to the ninth inning, shut down guy. The Twins don't have that. They they're just like. Just trying to put any sort of... Duran is that guy. Duran is that guy. But they need to... Then then they need to figure out how to set up their bullpen better to get it to Duran in the the night. And that's the problem. In my life, his ERA is 1.3. He's given up four runs in 27 innings. So he's very good. He's had 36 strikeouts in 27 innings. He throws 104. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you can't get the ball to him... Because the guys in front of him are not any good. So my idea to remedy that, since they don't seem interested in you know, in trading for anybody, it is legal to trade before the deadline on August 1st, July 31st. You can make a trade before then. Please try and help your team. Jorge Lopez, he's now on the mentally disabled list, whatever they want to call it, mental health list, with whatever that is. He just he started off so great, and now he's awful. Mm-hmm. Brock Stewart's been their second best guy. Right. The other night, they brought him into a game. Guess how many pitches he threw? Five. Four? Five. Yes, five. And they decided to, all right, that's enough. 
One inning, three outs, five pitches. Good job. What a waste. Put him out there again. Like, all right, five pitches. Shit, you're on tonight. We're going to give you a second inning. Just, or maybe after maybe throw 15 pitch. That was that was the game where they went with the bullpen game yes. because they wanted to give their starters a fucking rest. Who needed a rest? Sonny Gray apparently doesn't need a rest. Joe Ryan probably doesn't need a rest. Who else? You know what? Give them an extra day off. We're going to just go with the bullpen, and I think they won 2 nothing and ended up working out. Yeah. It's like we can play. You know, it's 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 just very frustrating to watch a team, and now the uh, and now the starters are not quite as good as they have been. And it's they they're still not terrible first. though. Like it's still it's it's good enough pitching where they need to be winning half of these games, right? You have to get you know, hitting coach has to go. Something has to change here. It feels like they just. Like just that that series against Detroit that this is the beginning of the end for the twin season like that's it, the the sense of urgency has to be that you have to beat the Tigers you have to win three of four from the Tigers if it's if it's in Detroit and you lose three out of four inexcusable but I can understand it to a degree you lose three of four at home to a team as bad as the Tigers who had lost thirteen of fifteen games coming in thirteen of their last fifteen inexcusable. And these, games were, and these games weren't close. Right. Like, right. oh, we gave it away in the eighth or ninth. We, you know, we almost had it. No, they weren't close. Yeah. And then ah. the, the series against Boston hasn't been close at all. Oh, it was 10 nothing in the eighth inning last night. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're batting Royce Lewis like fifth or sixth. They keep on betting Buxton and Correa in the two, three, four spot. They're hitting 200. I know you're, they are your big stars. Quit hitting guys. What other team is putting somebody that's hitting 200 in the number three spot or the number five spot? I know it's, it's, it's sacrilege, but move Carlos Correa down maybe to number six. Byron Buxton, strike out too much. You're hitting 205. Maybe you're going to hit number seven. Why the fuck is Royce Lewis, who's done perfectly fine, Batting six in this shit lineup. Well, what's Kirilov batting? Like well, he's batting great as well. He at least they bat him up in the order a little bit. Okay, I was just gonna say, like, do they yeah. need to move him up in the order? Um, I want to, I want to uh, correct something I said earlier. Uh, it's a four-game series with the Red Sox, so the Twins could still split this series. Um, because they the Red Sox have won the first two games, but right now it doesn't look like it. Not not by a long shot. Um. It's just no. They should be a lot better than they are. They're still in first place somehow, so they got that going. Yeah, what what has to happen for something to change? You know, people are tired of Max Kepler. Uh, people are tired of these bullpen moves. Um, it was uh, the, the other the, the other night. Bronco decided we're going to pinch hit Max Kepler for Royce Lewis. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's a, it's a righty-lefty. They, uh, I think it was Milwaukee. They brought in a righty. And Royce Lewis is a righty. We can't have a righty-righty matchup. So let's bring in, let's play the numbers, and let's play the matchup, and let's bring in shitty-ass Max Kepler, who's sitting 190. I think the at-bat ended in a walk, which I guess you consider a win. Yeah. But it's just like... 
what the fuck is going on? Well, it's just amazing because um, I think one of the other things that was brought up regarding the Luisa Rice trade is that he has more hits than anyone on the Twins. The Twins don't have anyone with 60 hits yet this year. He has more hits than their top two guys. It's just, it's insane. Carlos Correa leads them in hits, and Donovan Solano is second. You combine those two guys, they're still one or two hits shy of a rocks. I mean, it, it's just, it's nuts. Anyway, and he's having an unbelievable year, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the trade. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they, they got guys coming up. They've got, you, you expected Jose Miranda to still be at third base. But he's not, so now Royce Lewis is the third base. So where does Miranda go if he ever gets called back up? And you got Blanco at second, who this might be his final year. Your top prospect is a shortstop. His name is Brooks Lee. Shortstop appears to be occupied. Third base appears to be occupied. So do you put him at second base? So Twins had options. You have Edward Julian, who is a second baseman. Where does he play? Where does Brooks Lee play? I like. I liked. I, you know, I was okay with the trade to get Carlos Correa. That's exciting, and they got a good deal. Mm-hmm. But they didn't need him. Like, what was the infatuation with getting Carlos Correa back? Like, they they have a shortstop. His name is Royce Lewis. This wasn't like a position of need. Like, you know, we, we, we just don't have a shortstop. There's maybe, nobody coming up. Maybe they were looking more at the bat. And and, been and he's been awful. Yeah. Carlos picked it up here recently, but he's still hitting 210, 215. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's had a terrible offensive season. And that has not worked out. So they, they were willing to spend $200 million over six years, which is something they have never done. To any free agent, they did it for Maurer, but he was already here. They have never. I think their previous record high was what, like it was Josh Donaldson. Before that, it was 50, 52, 55 million. So you go from that, you give Josh Donaldson about ninety. Now you give Korea, you know, two hundred. So okay, when, when this Korea deal is done, are they gonna? Are they ever gonna do this again? They've shown they can. Give a guy thirty million a year. It just hasn't worked out. I mean, I think it starts with the hitting coach. This offense still sucks, and like Rocco Ball, Dilly's not going anywhere. It's it's like you're you're working on a puzzle, and there's ten pieces left. You've got all ten pieces, but you can't figure out how to put them in the right spot. Mm-hmm. It's like it just seems impossible to finish this puzzle. Like, it's all there, but you can't put the pieces in the right spot. It's just impossible because you have people that have no concept of what the fuck the puzzle is. I know you, you say that the hitting coach needs to go, but I think I've, I think we've discussed this in the past. Isn't part of the issue that the, that the front office put together a team that's all home run or nothing? Like, it's no. just – it's power or nothing. They're going to strike out a ton – they don't. They're not going to put the ball in play a ton uh, if they're not connecting for a home run. And right now, that's not happening. So I don't know if that's. I don't know if that necessarily should fall on the hitting coach. 
if these are if this is the lineup that the front office has put together and this the, the philosophy is you know we're going to hit a ton of home runs we're going to hit a, a ton of long uh balls into the outfield or we're going to strike out like i i feel like it shouldn't be entirely on the hitting coach because these guys like because the front office put together this team their hitting coach is some guy named David Popkins. And he doesn't have, like, what is he? He's 33 or he's 32 second. Oh, okay. He, he used to play for the Canaries for Christ's sake. Oh, wow. He's five years younger than us. I guess Carlos Correa really likes him. They hired him, like, two seasons ago. He was the hitting coach for the Dodgers I-18. Like, I, I don't... I don't know. What, what track record does he have? I don't... It hasn't worked. He's been here two years. It's been bad for two years. Mm-hmm. Say, shake something up. We have Kepler still on this team. Matt Walner was hitting the hell out of the ball, and they just sent him down. It's it's frustrating to to just watch and say, well, like it comes down to Correa and Buxton hitting two hundred. Mm-hmm. I mean, if those guys are just having average years like they've always had, then then we're not talking about evidence, right? But it's yeah, it's frustrating. So we'll continue the the. To, um discuss uh, to re- to look at the twin season as, as the as the baseball season rolls on a couple other things to get to though from the baseball season break it out for the Cincinnati Reds they've won 11 in a row this team is in first place in the NL Central they are looking great uh, I don't know if this is something that they can sustain and keep up but didn't Joey Votto come back and hit a home run in his first game this year I mean that was that was pretty cool uh, we talk about how bad the AL Central is, but the NL Central isn't much better. Uh, is this something that the Reds can sustain, or do we think the Brewers will ultimately win this division? Heck, even the Cubs. I'm all in on the Reds. I think they'll be really good. They're really young. They fleece the Twins in a couple trades, so they got some young guys still to come up. So, yeah, I think the Reds, I'm, I'm all on the Reds. The Reds are my team for the rest of the Okay. They've got uh, the, the, the guy, Belly De La Cruz. Yes. Just, you know, when a big-time prospect comes up and delivers immediately, that is great. Got a guy named Spencer Steer, who the Twins traded to him. He's hitting almost 280. He's got 10 home runs. So he's, he's doing well. You know, they got a lot of young players. You got a lot of guys in their mid, mid-20s, early-20s, with more on the way. They got some pitchers. They got... Um, a guy they called up here a couple of weeks ago, uh, Andrew Abbott. He has started three games, and he has yet to allow a run. Mm. Mm. He's done nearly 18 innings to start his career without giving up a run. So Andrew Abbott, a guy they called up, one of their top prospects. Well, they got Hunter Green, who's been around for a couple of years. He's still only 23. So, yeah, they, they got some good young guys. So... The, and more to come. The, so I like I like what the Reds 
got going on. The fascinating thing about this win streak is that they have done it primarily on the road. Uh, they won the final two games of their series against the Cardinals in St. Louis that started the, the role. They swept the Royals in Kansas City. That's not bad. So you're like, okay, uh, Royals and Cardinals, it's been a bad year for baseball in Missouri. Both those teams are in last place. So, okay, yep, Cincinnati wins five games in a row, but it's a product of the schedule they're facing. Okay, but then they go to Houston, and they sweep the Astros in Houston. It's one thing if you swept them at home in Cincinnati, but to go down there and beat Houston three in a row, that is impressive. And now they sweep the Rockies, which, again, it's the, it's the Rockies. But, again, between doing what they've done on the road and then combine that with the fact that you sweep the a team like the Astros, it's not something that you can just glance over and like, okay, uh, you know, like bat an eye. This is some pretty good stuff here, what we're seeing from Cincinnati. This is a hell of a stat here. There have been over 100,000 instances in baseball history over a 10-game span, one of the teams had fewer hits and fewer walks than their opponents. Fewer hits, fewer walks over a 10-game span. It's happened over 100,000 times. It happens all the time. And the Reds have done this. The Reds are the only one of those teams to win all 10 games. So in this little winning streak, the other team has more hits than the Reds, and they've got more walks. They don't have more runs, but they're doing it uh, by not uh, hitting their opponent or even getting on base more. So maybe this isn't sustainable then because at some point the dam's going to break loose and you're not going to be able to get that clutch out when you need it. They're going to score some runs. I like what they're doing. They're 40-35. This is the longest winning streak since 1957. You would think one of those teams in the 70s would have had a 10-11 game winning streak, but I guess not. Uh, they got the Braves coming up. They got the Braves in Baltimore this week and next week. So that's a test. That'll be uh, some stiffer competition. Yep, yep. So we'll see if it's. Uh, that's why I say we'll see if it's sustainable or not. Uh, the Kansas City Royals took over for the last place. I should say worst record in baseball for a little bit. Oakland has taken that back now they're 19 and 56 while Kansas City is 20 and 54 speaking of teams on hot streaks the San Francisco Giants they've won nine in a row they are all of a sudden creeping up on not the Dodgers in first place but the Arizona Diamondbacks who stay uh, atop the NL West the Giants are three back of them but I like I said they've won nine in a row uh, who have they done this against the the they, they they just totally annihilated the Dodgers in L.A. That's very impressive, uh, including one 15 to nothing. That was utterly shocking. They uh, swept the Cardinals in St. Louis. They've won the first two games against the Dodgers so far. So this is a uh, – uh, not against the Dodgers, the, the Padres, excuse me um, – Close games there. Uh, one went to extras. The Giants won it in 10, and then they won 4-3 here uh, Tuesday night. So Giants also very impressive streak going right now. Is this something that we think is sustainable from the Giants? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah the Cardinals are bad. Yeah, they, I mean, they've they beaten the Padres. So they've got a prospect that they also called up. Uh, Mateos or whatever his name is, so he's one of their big prospects. 
So, yeah, get back around this midway point where some teams are starting to not pull away, but these long win streaks to kind of get them back in contention to go from kind of under 500 to over 500 and do things correct here after a while. But it's kind of what you're looking at with the Twins here. Can they win five, six, seven in a row at some point to get this thing going again? Mm-hmm. And then another guy in the Giants who the Twins traded away years ago, an outfielder, Lamont Wade Jr., having a good year. He's hitting 280 uh, with nine home runs. So I, I might do a blog post on the Twins could be good. The Twins could make contact instead of hitting 230 as a team. If they would have kept a rise and Lamont Wade Jr. and this guy and that guy. But I feel like if those guys were with the Twins, they wouldn't be having a season. They're, they would be having because sure. that's not how it works. Just well, to yeah, go- I mean, I say, oh, if, if Luis Arroyo was here, he'd be, he'd be hitting 400. I doubt it. He'd probably be first. So. Just to go back to a rise for a second here, um, the Marlins were at one point up uh, 11 games over 500. they They're now up, oh, nine games over 500. They've lost two in a row to the Blue Jays. But with, I mean, is this just one? Because Sandy Alcantara hasn't pitched all that well this year. So is it a rise? Is it a new manager? Like, I, I guess I'm just wondering, is he the sole one of the, like, he's a, a main reason, but is he the sole reason why the Marlins have turned it around as much as they have? And... Should the Marlins make the playoffs? Not saying win the East. And if Arise is around the 400 mark, should he win MVP? It'll be close. I think. I think Ronald Acuna Jr. is your National League MVP. Okay. He's probably going to hit 35 home runs and have about 70 steals. So he's putting together a great season. The reason why the Marlins are good is because they have a very good record in one-run games. That's true. They're like the, the, the Minnesota Vikings of the ba- of Major League yeah. Baseball. So that gives you some, some caution there. They're 24-10 and 10 in games decided by one or two runs. 24-10 and 10 in one or two run ball games. So they're nine games over 500, but the run differential is negative 18. So... Mm. It tells you they're more of a 500 team than a 90 win team, mm-hmm. but they've got they've got a pitcher with a 20 year old Yuri Perez that they have called up here about a month ago or so, and he has pitched tremendously. But he's a guy who's going to have an innings limit at some point this year, mm-hmm. and. They're going to shut him down because he is uh, younger. But I'm like, okay, you're expect you're kind of expecting how to make the playoffs or being the wild card. So like, you want this guy around. He he, he turned 20 in April. Mm-hmm. Has an ERA of 1.5. He started eight games. He's given up seven runs. So he's been excellent. He has thrown this year 70 innings. During his next start, he will likely eclipse his previous high. He threw 78 a couple of years ago. He threw 77 innings last year. He's at 72 this year, so he's never really even gotten close to 100. So how many innings is he going to throw? 
we don't know. So it seemed to me like, all right, let's do something so that you're available to pitch in September mm-hmm. instead of available to pitch in July. So these things seem simple, but apparently not. We haven't done a pitcher or hitter of the week in a while. Uh, so do you do you have one of each for this week to, to do a little catch-up, or should we just do a... No, I'll with the Reds, guys I've mentioned. Uh, that Ellie De La Cruz. Okay. For, uh, for the Reds. He's had a great start. And uh, that pitcher, Andrew Abbott. I'll do Cincinnati Reds. He's 24 thrown almost 18 innings without giving up a run to start his career. He's a lefty. So sticking with the Reds, we'll go with two Cincinnati Reds guys. All right. Very good. Uh, We'll just get that down here. Very good. I like that. Uh, Anything else baseball-related we need to get to? Tampa Bay has lost three in a row for the first time all year. Oh, they, they snapped it today. They finally won against Baltimore. So, um, the Angels in the playoff mix, they're a half game better than Toronto for the final wild card spot. I don't think they're going to get it. And they're going to lose Shohei Otani. And their GM came out and said, we still don't plan to trade him. They're going to try and make the playoffs and see what happens. Good luck. Like you. He's not coming back, and he's going to get a $400, $500 million contract this winter. So go for the playoffs and see what happens, but I would trade him. And, I, I mean, you're only going to get him for a couple months, but you're going to get him as a pitcher and a hitter. And maybe he'll re-sign with the team that he's traded to if he likes it. But How about Max Kepler for Shohei Otani straight up? Straight up, why not? Why wouldn't they do it? <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, yeah, Baltimore continues to roll. Baltimore is the real deal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it'd be great if you know the Reds were in there, if the Marlins were in there. It'd be great. It'd be it'd be fine if the Dodgers didn't make it for once. That'd be great. It would. It would indeed. Uh, let's shift sports here from baseball to basketball. The NBA draft is this week, this Thursday. Um, Normally, you know, we do our big NFL mock draft podcast. We don't do it for basketball because you know, we don't know a lot of these con- or, uh, who these players are. You know, they're overseas or they're in G League and whatnot. So we don't have this here. I'm going to do a post on the on the blog on Thursday with my top ten. Like I, I, I don't go further than ten because you just don't know. We do know with certainty though. Again, nothing is certain in life except death and taxes. But we are almost certain, like 99.9% positive, that Victor Wambanyama is going to go number one to the Spurs and Connor Bedard is going number one to the Blackhawks in the NHL draft, which I also believe is this week. Or uh, maybe it's next week. Either way, it's it's in June. Um, he's gonna get Victor is going to get drafted by the Spurs. That is a foregone conclusion. And then the real mystery comes after that with what uh, Charlotte does. Brandon Miller seems to be uh, the the favorite here, but you do have, what, Scoot Henderson in there as well. What are you most intrigued by with the NBA draft uh, on Thursday? 
I used to love the NBA draft. I used to watch it pretty intently, and then now I haven't. I can't remember the last time I've watched the NBA draft. Oh, Charlotte, yeah, Scoot Anderson, Brandon Miller, who do you pick? Yeah, I don't know. I would say to go with Scoot Henderson because LaMelo Ball has some injuries. And he's been really good, but if he's going to be like his brother and that he's available, you need another point guard, and Scoot Henderson is a point guard, and Brandon Miller is a scorer. So I think Brandon Miller would probably stick better at number three with Portland. You got Lillard, who apparently wants to stay for some fucking reason. Like, if I'm him, I was like, you know what? I've done my years. This isn't working out. Get me out of here. Mm-hmm. And so for, for what I think would fit each team, I hope Scoot Anderson goes to the Hornets. I hope Brandon Miller goes to Portland to provide them some scoring. Then after that, I haven't heard of any of these guys. I, so. I got to tell you, I very – I'm very hesitant with Brandon Miller. Great player in college basketball last year, but we know about the, um, you know, the off off the court stuff. You know, he's involved in that. Um, you know, the, the the shooting. Well, he supplied the gun and stuff. Was never charged, but there's just a lot of character concerns, character flaws there. I think there was something. Uh, there's a video uh, circulating that he said, uh, "Oh, LeBron James isn't the the goat or the the best of all time." Paul George's like maybe he misspoke, but that's a very that's a big error in judgment. Uh, a guy that's never won a title, right? Paul George's never won a title. Um, no. So that's that that's I don't know what the hell he's he's talking about there. Um, but you're you're right. Like we we don't know who a lot of these guys are. And I the one thing I hate most about the NBA draft is when these trades happen. And it still has to be approved by the league office. And so you get the, they're going to get drafted. They're going to put the cap on, but they're not really with that team. And you're like, well, who the hell is he going to now? Oh, it's trade. It's just got to be approved. Approve it faster. The NFL can do it. Why can't the NBA? So I really hate that about the NBA draft. But also, it has just become so difficult to figure out who all of these guys are. Some of these names, like Jordan Hawkins, I remember him from, from UConn. Uh, uh, Grady Dick. Grady Dick, yes. Uh, he was great at Kansas for his one year. Um, Anthony Black from Arkansas, remember him. Um, we know who he is. Yeah, yep. So we know some of these guys, but it's the ones that are overseas or the ones, like I say, playing in the G League. It's just difficult to figure out. It's kind of like... The same thing with, like, the MLB draft. They could draft some kid out of high school in California or Puerto Rico. We don't know who these guys are. The same thing with the NHL. Oh, it's from the Ontario Hockey League. I don't know. I've never seen them. So, at least with the NFL, we know where these guys are coming from for the most part because we watch college football. It goes college to the pros. Here you can kind of do whatever. So, it's very difficult unless you're plugged in to the NBA draft process, unless you are plugged into the NBA in general, or basketball in general, and are a fan of all levels or all like leagues, it's difficult to be able to establish who some of these players are. And I'm not trying to say, like, 
you know, I'm not trying to plead ignorance here. It's just difficult for those of us who aren't plugged in to the sport um, who some of these guys are. I guess the, you know, the, the G League, nobody looks, nobody watches the G League. No. That is what G League Ignites team, which is a pair of, if you want to call it an all-star team, or I guess guys that come from high school, they don't go to the NBA or college, they go to this G League team. Mm-hmm. And NBA TV, they've been playing the hell out of, like, this one game from back, like, in October or November or whenever, you had Scoot Henderson's G League team against Victor Wimbanyama. Okay. And they played, you know, late this fall against each other some fucking way. So they've been playing that a lot. And you know, like like the NFL and the NBA, it's a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, we feel pretty good with the first couple of picks. Other than that, you know, well, who knows? You There'll need be some value at the end of the draft. You need only look at a team like the Sacramento Kings, who have flamed out for years, you know, with first round picks, or the Minnesota Timberwolves drafting Johnny Flynn and Ricky Rubio over the likes of uh, Steph Curry and uh, what, like. Um, like Giannis and guys like that. Like there's, yeah, these first round guys don't pan out a ton. We do think though that Victor Wembanyama is going to pan out. He's going to be a star in San Antonio. I think San Antonio could be a fringe playoff team this year, but you need to have, and he's going to no better place than San Antonio between the coach, Greg Popovich, and also, you know, the, the Spurs culture and the, 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 the international flavor that they have with that team, because they have a lot of international players, or they, they've they had a lot of players from overseas in the past. You think of Manu Ginobili, you think of uh, Tony Parker. Um, so, just to name a couple. But he's going, to, he's going to go to a good spot. It's just a matter of what veterans will they be able to add to him in free agency to make San Antonio... That viable team, because it was pointed out, I think it was on Around the Horn I saw this, that you know the the guys who were proclaimed to be absolutely great players, like uh, like LeBron James and oh I can't remember who the other name was, but like slam dunk number one picks didn't make the playoffs in their first year. Uh, oh yeah. So it's you know for for Victor Wambanyama and the Spurs, especially playing in the West, it's going to be difficult, but it's. I think they are a fringe playoff team. You just need to give uh, Victor a good supporting cast around him. We kind of went through the roster there a while ago. Mm-hmm. Assuming all these guys are still here, they've got Keldon Johnson, who averaged 22 points a game. They've got uh, Devin Vassil, who averaged 18 a game. So that's pretty good. You know, They've got some pieces there. I mean, just watching him, he just takes up so much space. Yeah. And he's, what, 7'4", and he plays like a guard. He is, he's a super, so he, he doesn't hit, he hasn't hit the three very well. He you was know, shooting like 83% from the foul line, so he can shoot, so hopefully he is. Um, I bet he know. shoots the three ball better than Ben Simmons. Probably, probably. He actually knows what hand to shoot with. That's <laughs> happened. <laughs> So I think you'll hopefully get better, maybe being all 35% for a three-point shooter. But, you know, he's like a super-sized Kevin Durant, maybe, mm-hmm. if everything works out. And he's, he's like a guy in a video game where, like, you're going to create a guy who's as tall as he can possibly be, 
and he's going to be a guard. He's not going to be a post player. He's going to be a guard. And you're like, yeah, this is a video game guy who's not actually real because there are no seven foot four guys who can dribble and do this. But but this is what we've got. We've never seen anything like him. Looking at one uh, one draft here, the, the Nuggets picking 29th. Uh, they've got them picking Hame Hakez from UCLA. Oh, there we go. And the, the Nuggets just picked that pick up, I think, yeah. on, on Wednesday here with the Pacers. They were giving a 2024. Yeah, they and that's a guy we've heard of and seen, and he's been at UCLA for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you can see him being a guy who comes off the bench and contributes and just kind of adds more depth. To Denver, you're like, oh yeah, that's a guy that could average eight to ten points a game. So the NBA draft is on Thursday, like you said. We'll we'll see what happens there. There'll be plenty of trades, of course. There was a big trade that happened over the weekend, and that was the the Washington Wizards sending Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns for Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, and a few second round picks and a pick swap. Um, I. I think that you could have gotten a much bigger or better deal from many other teams than what Washington received in return from Phoenix. But this is a... And then there's reports that they're trying to trade Kristaps Porzingis. So Washington is in a complete teardown and rebuild. Like, this is going to be a bad team this year. They were bad last year. They'll be even worse this year. They could be the worst in the NBA. Like, they're just completely tearing it down. But it makes sense, um, maybe a, a year too late or whatever. But for for Washington, I'm wondering if they didn't get as much in return because they're shedding so much salary. Like they don't, they're not going to have to be responsible to take on part of or as much of Bradley Beal's salary as Phoenix will. Now this gives Phoenix a big, uh, big three between Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal. Beal is a volume point scorer. He doesn't do a whole lot else. So the big question, I think, for Phoenix is, well, a couple. One, where who's going to play defense? And two, since you have so much money now devoted to those three guys, who can fill up the roster to provide you a bench and maybe a little help defensively for your championship push? I don't see this working out. Can Kevin Durant, his fault or not, Another super team with three all stars. Mm-hmm. They drafted them in Oklahoma City. You know, Harden and Durant and Westbrook to get all those guys within a couple of years of each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was A plus rebuilding to get the top picks, to pick the guys that are going to turn out. And they did it and they fell short. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to Golden State and that ended up working. But not because um, of him. It was because they already had something in place with but, Seth. But Steph and I'll, I'll go and say credit because these things usually don't work out. Right. Yep. Uh, you know, LeBron's gone a couple places. Boston had those older guys that worked for one year. They they wanted one year. They were good for a few years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brooklyn was a disaster. Yep. You know, the Sixers have a couple of guys that just hasn't worked out. And I don't know. I hope the Suns win. I just don't see this working out. Because you've got three guys who all do the same thing. Yep. And it's cool to have an all-star team with these guys that could have. Like, 
all of them could and I think have averaged around 30 points a game. Mm-hmm. You know, so somebody's going to have to be the third wheel. I'm sure Durant will be hurt at some point. He'll miss probably 20 games. Yep, I was just going to mention that. So, you know, DeAndre Ayton, I guess he's there. Apparently they don't like him for whatever reason. And he just tried to fill out the roster. But they're going for it, so good for them. Yeah, the, the, the trade is a joke. Because of the salaries, you got Chris Paul, you got Bradley Beal kind of matching salaries. And, and Chris Paul will not play a game in a Wizards jersey. I would be shocked no. if he does. They're going to try and trade him. Well, you go to the Clippers or the Lakers or somewhere else. And like that, I just hate trades like that because they're a joke. And they didn't even have to give up a first-round pick to get an all-star. Well, do they have any first-round picks that they can no, get? No, they up? don't have one. Like, they don't have one. So if anybody says, oh, the Lakers can't trade for this guy because, oh, they don't have a first-round pick or this team can't trade, they can't make any moves because they don't have a first-round pick to give up. Like, it doesn't matter. You can just trade a bunch of bullshit for nothing. Isn't this, like, blatant tanking? I mean, it's, there's, there's I a very obvious... Beal's agent, his brother is something with the sun. There's some connection there, I think. Mm, so collusion? Some sort of stupid fuck thing. It's like, you know what? That's the way that goes. So say, so yeah, give it a try. It ain't, yeah, I'd be stunned if it works out. I don't see him beating Denver. Nope. I don't, I don't see it working. Because yeah. you've got three guys who do the same thing. And... What was the team last year? Was it was it maybe Philadelphia or no? I think it was uh, I think it was Brooklyn. We were talking about. And yeah, James Harden, Irving, and Durant, yeah. and they were never healthy. And we and said Irving's a cancer. Yep, and, and it never worked out. And we said who like that? You don't have much orange to be able to pass around. Everyone's going to want to score. That's going to be the same thing in Phoenix here. I think. What you'll have at least is a couple. Durant's going to be that alpha, I guess, in the room. I think Devin and Bradley will be able to put their egos aside, but Durant is so soft that you know any sort of criticism he's just going to shut down or you know block people on Twitter or whatever, not answer anything. Um, but I almost feel like there, it's going to have to be Durant. It, like Durant's got to be the star of that team or get the ball the most, and Devin and Bradley may have to take a a back seat or be the second and third option. I just, I, I, it's like we said with Brooklyn last year. There's not enough orange to go around. I think that's going to be the same thing that the Suns experienced this year. They owe Bradley Beal forty six million next year, fifty million after that, and then fifty three million in three years. Couldn't you get two guys for like twenty five million each? Yeah. And when that, I don't know if it would make more sense, how you would do that trade or otherwise, but get more depth and you could, you know, the salaries are astronomical, but I feel like you could probably get two pretty good guys for 25 million. The top guys are making, you know, 40 and 50 million a year. You know, it's kind of, kind of do what Denver has done. Denver's drafted pretty much their entire team. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, you just like what Denver's done. They got two superstars, and they got a bunch of other really good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and not, we have to mention too that Phoenix parted ways with Monty Williams. Monty Williams is a very good head coach, and they said, yeah. "No, we want to, we don't want you anymore." Uh, part of that's because you have a new owner, so 
new owner wants his guy, but I I don't know. Something, you know, hopefully it works out for Phoenix, but this doesn't seem like it's going to end well. Something is going to happen because we've just seen this too many times where it it fails. And Frank Vogel, I guess, is a defensive coach, and you know they're, they're going to have to play some defense. Oh, good luck with that. With this, with this roster. And I, I guess, do you trade DeAndre Ayton to get more depth somewhere? And does anybody want him? And what can you get for him? Well, he was he signed a deal with the Pacers last year, and the Suns matched it. So I guess that would be their next potential move to add depth to this team. Mm-hmm. Who wants him? And. Can you can you can you add some depth that way? And it, it seems like people aren't going nuts like they have in past years, saying, "Oh, who is going to beat this team?" Mm-hmm. You know, like they did with Brooklyn. Like, who's going to beat Brooklyn? Mm-hmm. Well, pretty much everybody beat Brooklyn. Um, and this way, it's like, you know what? Yeah, I think it's happened enough where it's like, we'll wait and see because these super teams just have not Panda. worked out, Here. which is really nice, indeed. Indeed. So we'll see how that goes. One other NBA note, John Morant gets suspended 25 games. I think it's a joke of a suspension. If you want it to be something noticeable, you suspend him for half the season, if not a full season. Um, I don't see what 25 games will do. Uh, We'll see what, you know, if Memphis can kind of stay afloat for those 25 games, but you still have Morant then for 57 games. He says he understands the severity of it. I don't think he does. Um, because he said that the first time. So I, I think that, oh, there's a big Morant suspension news. We're going to hold off that off until the NBA Finals are over. And then it's 25 games. Like, well, what the hell? Like, it's nothing. It, it's, no, it, it's bad. It's That's a bad look for the NBA. Uh, they whiffed on this one. Do you think he'll be back after 25 I think he's going to do something stupid in between there and mm-hmm. when the when the suspension is done or something soon after. Yes, I think he will be back after 25 games. Um, I, I just think it, it 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 just it's a bad look for the NBA. Yeah, who's a guy for the Patriots? Jack, somebody got caught with a gun. Jack Jones. Yep. Yeah, he's in some trouble. It's like real guns. Guns are issues. Sounds like there's going to be a trade with this trade with Celtics, Wizards, and Clippers. Yep, and that's the Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, yeah, Porzingis going to Boston. They're going to give up Malcolm Brogdon to the Clippers. Mm-hmm. And Washington, similar to the Suns trade, get nothing. So, Maybe some picks, but... Weird, I was like, yeah, here's, here's nothing for this decent player. So, yeah, just shedding salary. just doesn't... I watched, I watched a 30 for 30 this past couple weeks on Bill Walton. Oh, I did see that. Um, I, I, it was on at the gym, so I didn't hear it, but uh, it, it looked interesting. It was a four-parter, four hours, and it's been on for four weeks or whatever, and I taped it and watched it, and it was good, it was interesting. And I was thinking about Nikola Jokic, and like I would compare him now to Bill Walton. To where, like, Bill Walton could shoot a little bit. Obviously, he wasn't shooting threes. They didn't even have a three-point line for some of his career. Mm-hmm. But he could hit, like, a 10-foot, 12-foot jumper once in a while. And he was this, you know, great, uh, he was a great rebounder, defender, you know, great player, just 
had a lot of injuries. Mm-hmm. And you really don't hear too many people when it's when, when they bring up who do you wish had a healthy career. They always mention Bo Jackson, or they always mention you know maybe a Derrick Rose or you know uh, any Hardaway is brought up a lot. They wish they Grant Hill. Yes. Had a, had a 15-year career with no injuries. And, I mean, Bill Walton, you know, played 50, 40, 50 years ago. So. But he would have been an interesting case. What would he have done if he could not or didn't have his foot injuries? Mm-hmm. And he was still he's still a Hall of Famer, still one of the 50 greatest players ever. They named him to the team, despite, despite really playing like one of like five, six real seasons. Mm-hmm. They won a championship one year, I think, in 77. The next year, they were even better. They were 50 and 10 before he broke his foot again. And with him healthy, they probably win the finals that year. So how does that change his legacy if he wins back-to-back finals in the late 70s? How does that change things with the Trailblazers? Mm -hmm. If he just could have stayed healthy. And he was a great passing big man. He averaged like four or five assists a game, but they would show how he would pass. And we talk about Jokic and his passing, so... It's not a perfect comparison, but, but a lot of similarities I saw between Bill Walton playing and, and Jokic. You know, Jokic a little bit more on the outside, but but you know they, they can do some stuff passing the ball and uh, excellent, excellent player. So that was a really good thirty for thirty. I started one on the American Gladiators, ah. and I'm starting to get through that. We'll see if that's any good, but you know, how that came about. So we'll see. Very good. A uh, few other things to touch on. Uh, the U.S. Open, we have another first-time major winner. And for the fifth straight year at the U.S. Open, a first-time major winner has won at the U.S. Open. We have five different winners now here. And it, this year, it's Wyndham Clark. If you didn't hear of this, if you haven't heard of this guy prior to the U.S. Open, you're not alone. I think a lot of us didn't know who this guy was. He, he beat Rory McIlroy by one stroke. Uh, this was a fairly entertaining uh, tournament. We had two 62s get shot on the opening day on Thursday, opening round. Uh, certainly, the LA uh, Country Club provided some unique, uh, unique setting. Uh, we had an 81-yard par three and a 527-yard par four. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Uh, kind of the, the the disparity here between them. Um, but uh, we had darkness on Saturday because it was in prime time, which I liked, uh, though Wyndham Clark did not. And he says that's why he missed the putt on 17. Ricky Fowler missed his putt on 18. And like that, you can't blame the darkness on that because Ricky nearly holed it from 37 feet out. And then he missed a four-footer. You can't, you can't do that. That's, I don't, that's an excuse that I am not willing to accept. Uh, but in the end, Clark holds off McElroy. McElroy birdied the first hole on Sunday. Had, didn't birdie another hole. Bogeyed it. Putter just ultimately fell a little short. So I I hate that McElroy lost. But uh, this Clark story is interesting. His mother lived in L.A. for a while. She introduced him to the game of golf. She At like age 14 or 15, she died of breast cancer when he was 19. So... Uh, just coming back to the area, had some family and stuff in there. So it, it's a good story, a cool story, but just another guy. Um, I think between, you got Scotty Scheffler in the mix on Sunday. 
You had uh, Rory McIlroy, of course, in the mix. And then everyone was kind of ready for, is this the year Ricky Fowler? Is this the major Ricky Fowler is going to finally break through and win his first major? And he completely collapsed on Sunday. So you did have a number of interesting storylines on Sunday to, to keep track of and watch. But in the end, it's Wyndham Clark who's your winner. Never really heard of Wyndham Clark. I was interested, watched a lot of golf this weekend on Saturday, on Sunday. I mean, having it at night was cool, where the leaders really didn't start to like, what, 5 o'clock our time or so. Yep, I agree. That was cool. That was different for a change. Yeah, Roy McIlroy just can't, or it's been nine years, nine years since he's won one. And it's come close so many times. And Scotty Scheffler's just always there. I mean, he's, he's the world number one in eight for a reason. He's the best golfer right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cam Smith always seems to be around there. He was, what, finished fourth after a good finish. So, yeah, like, when, when, the, when the first round is done and you see a couple of guys with 62s, you're like, this is not the U.S. Open. Right. I thought six under was going to be the final score for the, for the winner. And, and then uh, Ricky finally got off such a great start, and then it became apparent early on Sunday that he was not going to be in contention, and you know, he kind of fallen off the map, and maybe this was his last shot to win one. I think so. Paul Azinger said it on Saturday night. He said, it, it's terrible to miss that, that three, four-foot putt for bogey yeah. on 18 because you have to sit with that all night before – you, you can go back out and play another round on Sunday. And, of course, he was in the last tee time. I think that had a lot to do with it. I just think that kind of just triggered something for Ricky and his confidence got shot a little bit. I, I, I truly think that the bogey and then, as Paul Azinger said, sitting on that for as long as he had to and then like being that to end the night, that, that's, that's tough to do. And this just didn't seem like the typical U.S. Open course where it was so tough. Remember, we had, had uh, who was it? it? Was Cam Smith? Did he hit the sixty-three on uh, Sunday? Somebody shot a sixty-three on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, that, yep. I know who. You, I can't remember who it is. It, I don't think it Tommy was Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood. Yes. Yep. So yeah, you don't. I mean, record-setting rounds, and Xander Shoffley was there for a bit. And like, yeah, you just don't. Dustin Johnson was around, so he had some names at the top of the deal. But yeah, you just don't expect to see guys sitting in the low 60s in this tournament. So I don't know if that took away from it because it's not what we expect. We expect, you know, two under to win every once in a while or, you know, Mm -hmm. four or five under at the most. So it it was a different tournament in a lot of ways. I think Wyndham Clark kind of saved the tournament, though, for him on, I think it was the par. 5 eighth when he his ball landed a yard to the left a yard to the right he's on the green got a good chance for eagle at minimum he gets birdie and he gets into that thick stuff and that's one of the reasons why i thought this course was going to be tough because this you know that rough was so thick i saw a video of it and the ball just disappears and he took took a swing at it and didn't make didn't make contact or the ball didn't move at all and you're like okay he's in a little trouble here he's going to be lucky to get out of this with bogey or double bogey and he was able to salvage a bogey he he chipped it out he got it out on his second shot uh, a tremendous chip then uh from the other side of the green a little bump and run 
that settled, you know, three, four feet away, and he was able to save Bogey. Like, I think that was where he saved the tournament, but I think that also gave him, like, the 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 calming sense of like okay I got through this I'm okay we're just we're gonna keep going here it wasn't a rattling hole like it otherwise could have been had he not made those two great chip shots. There was that tournament a couple of weeks ago where the guy made the seventy foot. Wasn't there some long yeah the, yeah the seventy two footer and, and Canada at the Canadian Open. Yeah, wasn't there some long putt this weekend too? I felt like maybe uh, did the winner. I felt like I saw, like, did Wyndham Clark get along 50 yards? But I don't know. Uh, ratings seem to be good. It was 8.8 million, so that's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, over 10 million, so that's the best in five years. Okay, I think the storylines leading into Sunday helped with that and being yeah, in yeah. prime time. And uh, Minneapolis was the second highest market. So. Well, there we go. Um, I think, yeah, prime time and the storyline certainly helped with that. And now, golf's final major, my favorite major of the year, bar none, it's the tournament I look forward to the most, the Open Championship, is a month, exactly a month from today. So, looking forward. Yeah, we had, you know, had Ricky Fowler there. I think people were interested in that. You had Roy McIlroy in the mix. Scotty Scheffler. Uh, you know, Scotty Scheffler is always there. He's finished, what, top five so many times now. So yeah, this uh, this was good. This was good, uh, good, good little tournament. Wyndham Clark. When I hear Wyndham, I think of a hotel uh, chain. That's I don't know if that's why he was named or what. Maybe he was conceived at a Wyndham hotel. I don't know. But uh, when I heard Wyndham, I was like, "What are they talking about? Hotels?" Nope. Uh, Wyndham Clark is apparently a guy. So, congrats to him on winning his first major. At the U.S. Open, there so open. Was there, was there any uh, on your part? Was there any uh, consideration of naming one of your sons Hampton Inn Stacking? Um, no. Holiday Inn was floated out there. Um, yeah. You know, we wouldn't have done a Motel Six or Super Eight. Um, George Costanza on Seinfeld won her name is Kid Seven. So. No, well, I. Could take a page out of George Costanza's book. I'm trying to think of any other ones. A Fairfield was potentially one of them, but uh, no, we we, de- we decided Best Western was a was a good one, uh, but that the, those names ultimately didn't stick. Probably a good idea. Probably indeed. Uh, a couple other things to to close out here. Um, College baseball, uh, the, the College Baseball World Series in Omaha. Congratulations to Oral Roberts for winning the game at the College Baseball World Series. They got eliminated earlier this week on Tuesday. They beat TCU in the first game, lost to Florida by one, and I, I yeah, that was that was the game that they needed. They almost came back to win, but playing the number two team in the country. That close, you know, losing by one run is absolutely incredible. And then they lose 6-1 to TCU. You kind of felt like that, that loss to Florida was was going to come back and bite them. But playing TCU again, a team you had played before, was maybe going to help. Ultimately, they, they lose. But uh, I think they commanded a lot of respect from people. It's just a cool story. And to be able to win a game at the College World Series is incredible. Uh, and Carl Ravitch's home run call uh, for that Oral Roberts game. Worst home run call of all time. I had somebody describe it to me, and it, it, I've never heard, I haven't heard it yet, but I could imagine 
Like, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. Like, he, he apparently he didn't know top of the ninth, bottom of the ninth, game winner, what team it was. Yeah, you like, have to. could get wrong. Everything he could get wrong, he did. You have to find it and listen to it. It is absolutely horrendous. And even you know, in that situation, you got to, okay, this is a big spot. If, you know, if this guy gets a hit, they score. If he gets a double, they score some runs. If he, you know, maybe if he even hits a home run, they take the lead. This is the ninth inning. It's a comeback. You got to, you're kind of going through the stuff in your mind. So you prepare yourself that, well, in any second, there could be a big moment and a big hit here. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Yeah. It just sucks when you're, when you're in that spot. Hey, thank God it wasn't South Dakota State where people would have went nuts. Because, <laughs> you know, he's never done an Oral Roberts game. Really, that shouldn't really matter. It's just like, right, these are two teams that are playing, and I messed up uh, a huge, huge call. Yeah. Well, it seems like... It got a lot of buzz and attention because it was just so horrendous. It's not like a minor little slip-up that some people will catch. It was... An abomination. Yeah. Like, if he did it initially and then corrected himself, that's okay. But then it just continued to get worse and worse. So that yeah. was bad. Yeah. And he tried to... They, he just stop talking. Turn off the mic, Carl. And Carl's a great guy. Like, a great... He, he's very knowledgeable with the game of baseball. He's called College Baseball World Series games before. He calls Little League. So this isn't someone who's, you know, brand new to the sport. It's just an unfortunate uh, mega Freudian slip, uh, and he's now going to go down in infamy for this call. <laughs> just, just this call specifically, not for anything else he's done, but um, yeah, not yeah. good. Uh, we got Florida in the championship series. They're undefeated still. Wake Forest and LSU uh, are going to do battle. I, I think LSU, I picked LSU to win at the beginning just because of what we talked about last week with some of these prospects that they have. Wake Forest got the best of them in game one. Interesting to see what happens there. I do think the winner of LSU, Wake Forest, ultimately wins the World Series. You've got that pitcher for LSU, Paul, and it's Paul Skeens. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's just tremendous. Like, he's basically a major league pitcher throwing against college kids. <laughs> well, I mean, that gives you a good shot, you know, if he can get another start here, maybe in a couple days, mm-hmm. going a hundred, and he's just great. So I'd love it for the Twins to pick him, but I think he's going number two overall. There's a outfielder for Florida that may go number five of the Twins. So I've been, I guess, a little bit more interested in college baseball here the past month. Been on TV a lot. Yep. So. Um, yeah, with, with, with the Twins with the fifth pick and then maybe having a couple of these guys around. That would be great. Uh, well, hey, maybe this guy uh, might go to the Twins. So, yeah, something, something to keep an eye on. The Jello shot record is falling. LSU uh, uh, people very drunk on Jello shots there, but it's all going to a good cause with uh, local food pantries getting money from the various schools. So that's good to see, uh, but we'll see what happens in the College Baseball World Series as that concludes next week. And staying in college, the final thing I have here, uh, Bob Huggins, DUI on Friday night, got arrested for that. Uh, .210 is what he blew. I uh, failed some sobriety tests. And he resigned from West Virginia as the men's head basketball coach on Saturday. It's the right move. I know his daughters come out and said, you know, people make mistakes. And she said, shame on, you know, West oh. Virginia and stuff. But 
Uh, oh, he had cans in there because he recycles them and blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, that's... It's nice that you're defending your dad, but between the, you know, the... The, uh, the gay slur he used on a Cincinnati radio station a month or so ago. And this, like, he just needs help. He needs to get it. Basketball should be foremost, like, just not in the picture at this time. He needs to get help and do a reset and get healthy. Um, a point two, like, if it's a point one two, okay. I could, you know what? Not good, but you can maybe live with it. A point two one. that's nearly three times the legal limit. He had a receipt from a Burger King he didn't even remember he was at from a few hours ago. Um, and T-Swift was in town. Taylor Swift was at a concert oh, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. She could have killed a bunch of Swifties. So that's not good either. Um, I don't, like, obviously we, we need to focus on his health right now and what he does but I think West Virginia made the right move what this means for West Virginia moving forward though I see I, I look they were a seven seed in Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology I think they completely missed the tournament now this year I think there's just so much of a cloud around this program there's uncertainty they don't know who's going to be the head coach I think you got to name an interim guy from the current staff but the the staff's contracts were coming up here or are coming up in a couple of weeks I think you got to do an interim guy and then go all in on a new hire in the offseason. But I, I just don't see how West Virginia is going to be able to get through this and, and make the NCAA tournament next year. I know there's there's a lot of time in between, but this is a, a, a sad story in the world of college basketball. I think he's done. I think he's basically retired yes. now. Yeah. He's 16 years old. You know how he got fired from Cincinnati? Uh, was it a DUI, I think, right? Oh, yeah, it's a DUI. So yeah, it's not the first strange. occurrence. I'm, I'm going to guess, Stack, in that these are probably the only times he's ever uh, been behind the wheel intoxicated, just these two times. Oh, yeah, must be. Must be. So, yeah, your dad's got problems. Um, I mean, to be in his position, you know, millions of dollars, and again, it just doesn't make any, any sense to ever put yourself in that position, and even more so... When you're somebody like him, a lot of money, famous guy, it's ridiculous. If he, so. if he doesn't have that issue on the Cincinnati radio station, if it's just this DUI, I think he survives. I think he gets suspended. I think he goes to, to therapy and whatnot. But you've had two instances that just put the University of West Virginia in a, a major black eye. It's two things that separate like you know the, the gay slur that he used arguably should have been a fireable offense right there because he knows better than that like you're saying it on on air and he said it what twice i think um like like the radio host doing the interview you could see the shock in their reaction when he said it they're like oh no you said something you should not have yeah and they kind of play it off and laugh but it's like yeah you're probably gonna get fired for that and ultimately, he didn't. And a slap and, on the wrist, like the punishment isn't even wasn't even severe. No. Three games and, and a million dollar a day or two later. Says, "Oh, I'm sorry." It's like, no, you're not, because that's how you are. I mean, that's who he is, and he used words he shouldn't use. Like whatever. And then this, it's like, yeah, get him out of here. We don't want him representing our basketball team, no matter how much success. 
I just don't know where the defense would come from. Like, yeah, you have to cut ties with him because right now he's just not some. You, you have to start fresh. You just can't and, have. And his daughter, I'm sure, hopefully knows him. And it's sad that she's taking the stance that she has because that's not going to help the situation. No. To, I mean, to do what he's 69 years old. Come on. And he has done a lot of good. Uh, throughout his career, he's a very good head coach. He's done a lot of good work for the community. But that doesn't excuse these two instances this offseason. And just given the severity of each of the situations, employment, be, being the head coach of your you know state uh, university, state that you grew up in, probably sh- isn't the, the top priority right now. Or shouldn't be the top priority. I thought he brought in Tom Brenneman. A year or two ago after Tom Brenneman got fired. Yeah, I shouldn't laugh at that, but that's a, a very ironic. Yeah. And he brought him in to like talk to the team after that. I think it may have been before that situation. I'm not sure. But it may have been after. It's like, if it was after, like why would you bring him in? What the hell is he going to talk to? Yeah, I got fired for saying something stupid. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Bob Huggins... Probably not the greatest morals I've ever seen. I'm, I'm going to guess what he has said and done the past few months. That's kind of who he is. It's it's certainly not a good situation there, and we'll see what West Virginia can do. But I, I mean, you had so many you had transfers come in because of Bob Huggins. Not, I mean, you're still gonna they're still gonna be there, but who's gonna be the head coach? Is it uh, you know? I I just don't know. I I don't know how they. They do this, and uh, it came from the uh, 2020 is when Bob Huggins brought Tom Brenneman in. And I don't know when he got fired. When did he get fired? Um, was it after that? I think it was like right around there. It may have been like just after. So he brought him in in 2020. It was. It happened in August of 2020. Yeah, um, it was... I want to say it was after that happened, but that's it, why it stuck out to me. Yeah, I think it was after. Um, uh, where... It was... Yeah, it was definitely after... Because Brenneman... About one month after... Yeah. Okay, he, he had resigned, and... Either way, it came after after he had resigned. You're going to bring this guy to talk to your team about what? Don't do what I did. Yeah. So... so. Not good. Anything else? Uh, that's it for me. Anything else from you? There was a pretty awful call in the White Sox-Rangers game last night. I was going to bring that up when we were talking baseball, and I forgot. My apologies. One, one of the worst rules in baseball is this, you know, having the, the runner, having a clear path to home. And the, the Texas catcher, his name's Jonah Heim, he was standing on home plates. Mm-hmm. So like I got him in the middle of home plate, so there was a part of home plate that was open. I think the runner was Elvis Andrews. Mm-hmm. And even the White Sox announcer said, you know what, that's probably the wrong call there. Yeah. So, and it is. It's like, don't take away from the game. He gave him room to slide, and the throw beat him by quite a bit. The imp- it just sucks because it was like a 6-6 game in the eighth, mm-hmm. and ultimately what won the game for Chicago. And it was a good play, and you should be awarded for that play, and it should have been an out. But for it to be an out, and he was out by a good plenty, and for them to reverse it and say, hey, you know what? Uh, 
Runner, catch interference, uh, score, score's good. That's terrible. I think that's the worst part in all of this, though, because, yeah, I mean, it didn't impede his path to the plate. There was still a no. portion of the plate open, and they called him out initially, and then after review, they said it was interference. It wasn't interference first, and then they, like, then they reversed it. You actually made this call after review like that that shouldn't happen but i don't i don't really blame the umpires because i think it came from the replay officials in new york or new jersey or wherever they're from so i think it it's i don't think it's the umpire's fault i think it's the reviewer who saw that so it's like well whoever did it he got that, is, one, wrong. He got that one wrong yeah and bruce bochy said it's like the the worst call he's ever seen and he's been around a few decades so th- yeah that yeah. that's a that's bad it's a bad, bad call. Um, all, uh, I, one other thing of news note here: they have yet to find this submarine uh, that's uh, for the Titanic. I there's a billionaire on there. Why are we doing this? Like, it, like a the the technology should work better. Um, you know, how do you lose contact with them? They, these guys have four days worth of oxygen in there. I they, if they aren't dead already, they only have a day left. Uh, which it, it's just, it's very sad, but also like, why are you putting yourself in in this risky situation, and why are we touring for the Titanic? Who gives a shit anymore? Because billionaires are bored, and they can make more money off of millionaires who can pay them to take them down to the bottom of the ocean. Hopefully, they find these people. Yeah, it sounds like they got about twelve to twenty-four hours to go before the oxygen is gone. So yeah, that'd be a hell of a way to go, John. Basically, suffocate to death. I don't know. Yeah, pass out. Well, okay. Here's the other thing. Don't you know? Like, they're going on a path towards the Titanic. There's not a like huge area then that they that you would think they would have to search, right? Yeah, I, I don't know much about it, but it doesn't seem like it could be that. I mean, they. I'm sure they've done this many times before. I. I how, how, how did they lose them for one? How far off course can they be? Mm-hmm. You know, there are thousands and thousands of feet. The, yep, the depth is is one thing, but if it's the, like, the general you feel area, like you got a pretty good area to search. So yeah, you you yeah. shouldn't you shouldn't you should know exactly the cor- the path that you're going towards the Titanic. Um, and I guess I yeah. never realized how close they were to to Canada. I thought they were more out like in more so like the middle of the ocean. Uh, or, you know, not quite as... I've got a theory. Yes, yes, Melissa, welcome. Megalodon. Oh, yeah, Megalodon. I'm just kidding, probably not Megalodon, but there are lots of things at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, that is a good point. That is a... And they've heard some noise, so I think they're still down there. So, I mean, what a deal. You you hear noise? Why don't you go find the people then, damn it? What are you doing? They're like, oh, we're playing pineapple. I'm sure, yeah, like, what do you do down there for three, four days? You're stuck. You think you're probably going to die. Like, is anybody even looking for us? How many people are already dead in there because, you know, they're, they're claustrophobic and, you know. Oh, they, I, they, I, I mean, it, it, would be, it would be interesting. So hopefully they find them, but, you know, odds not in their favor at the moment. No. Scary, scary situation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. Um, but it, it just speaks to the, the flaws of the entire operation. From, you know, like, why don't you have communication? Why are you, you know, using a, an Xbox controller 
to to navigate through and and whatnot. And th- this isn't the only submarine that's you know controlled by a remote control or whatever, but eh, not good. And I don't know is this true or not that Elon Musk uh, like like one of his companies has something to do with the submarine, like technology or something like that. I'm sure he does. Because you know, all these guys are like billionaires, they spend their money trying to do stuff like this. He should, you know, go, he, he should go in that, he should go in another submarine down there to help. They want to go to space, they want to go to the moon, they want to go to Mars, they want to go to the ocean, they want to go to all these places. He's the billionaire that should be in there. How about we just, I don't know, fix the shit on Earth before we start going to other places? Because what fun would that be to help humanity when you could do dumb, you know, fun, dumb shit like fly to space or... Help, help Blake Mitchell. Have some dummy put in $25 million to help Blake Mitchell. Huh. There you go. That's a, that's a very worthy cause. Very worthy sure. cause. Yeah. Anything else before we say so long? Should be it. All right. Well, you enjoy pickleball. Uh, if that's where you're headed off to. At, uh... We're going to try. The Nats have been terrible. I think we finally found some bucks for you to... To get off the net. So it's it was eighty five, actually pretty pretty fairly nice out, I think. So oh, wow, it's ninety here. So uh enjoy the cool weather. Hopefully you get some rain. Hopefully we get some rain. And we'll it talk. hasn't the humidity's not been bad. You know, we've we've had dew points, low sixties. I feel like once August gets here we're gonna have some scorchers, but only positive dew point has been been alright. Been bearable. You are lucky. You are lucky. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you next week, my friend. All right, we'll see you later. Travis Grins joining me here, Sports Block Podcast. Always appreciate his time as always. And with that, we are going to wrap up this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Nothing uh, that we need to do here the rest of the day here. And we have no more guests and whatnot. So um, hopefully everyone has a great rest of your week. Stay cool out there. Hopefully those that need rain get the rain we so desperately need. And we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, so, uh, you can find this podcast available on podcast.com, also on iTunes, just search Sports Block. Follow me on Twitter at ND Stacken, Facebook Nathan Stacken. Travis is on Twitter at Travis Krims, a link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. Next week, we'll talk, uh, we'll recap the NBA draft, talk more baseball, see what else we have to discuss from the world of sports and beyond. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, for Travis, I'm Nathan. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week on another edition of the Sports Block Podcast.